Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In the early 1980s, the residents of Chicago, Illinois, were stricken with fear as another presumed serial killer wreaked havoc on their streets. Just a year after the infamous serial murderer John Wayne Gacy was sentenced to death, The locals couldn't believe such evil could take over their livelihoods yet again. But this time, it wasn't just one slayer wreaking havoc in Chicago. It was a group of them. Four men who claimed to be part of a satanic cult brutalized women throughout the years of 1981 and 1982, suspected of torturing and murdering up to 20 people. The men's sinister nickname still haunts the Windy City to this day. This is the horrifying case of the Chicago Ripper Crew. Instances of kidnapping, ritualistic torture and murder, body mutilation, and cannibalism will be discussed. Listener discretion is strongly advised. The common thread that seems to be going through the, uh, all the homicides that we're investigating is that the victims were uh, lone females at night and just uh, either abducted or brought into their car or van whatever vehicle they were using, and uh, they were attacked and mutilated, and the bodies were dumped in another another area. The world of ritualistic child abuse. They would sacrifice animals. Does it make you want to hate murder, or does it make you want to do murder? Let's explore the darkness of mankind, one crime at a time. Welcome back to Rogue Darkness, the podcast that uncovers how the misinterpretations and misinformation surrounding witchcraft, the occult, and other beliefs have led many to do unthinkable crimes. From ritualistic killings and the demons that live in all of us, to exploration of the macabre and delving deep into the unknown, let's explore the darkness of mankind, one crime at a time. I'm your host of The Grim and Gruesome, Raven. Let's go rogue and get right into today's chilling crime— the case of the infamous group of four bloodthirsty, cruel, and presumed satanic individuals who carried out some of the most gruesome crimes Illinois has ever seen. Let's delve into the case of the Chicago Ripper crew. So let's first start off from the very beginning. A group of four sadistic individuals who would ultimately become known as the Chicago Ripper crew consisted of 18-year-old Andrew Cocorellis, his brother, 20-year-old Thomas Cocorellis, 20-year-old Edward Spritzer, and 28-year-old Robin Gecht. It's unclear exactly how the men first met and how they each agreed to partake in the horrific crimes that were ultimately committed. 
However, it's known that Robin Gecht was the proposed ringleader of the crew, and the one who would initiate their horrific plan. Robin was previously employed at PDM Contractors in Chicago, which was coincidentally owned by John Wayne Gacy. Gacy would use his business to lure young men to work for him, then he would later kill them. It's been speculated that Robin took inspiration from this, and, once he began his own construction business, he too looked for men to recruit himself, first for employment, and then to assist him with his horrific plans. On May 23, 1981, the accumulated team of Rippers abducted their first known victim. Linda Sutton was a 28-year-old mother of two who often turned to sex work for financial support. After 10 days of Linda being missing, the police received a concerning call of a thick stench coming from the back of a motel in Villa Park. The authorities initially believed that the smell must have been from a dead deer. However, Linda's badly battered body was discovered dumped in the field behind the establishment. She had been handcuffed, stabbed numerous times, and her body was completely mutilated. Even more disturbing, though, her left breast had been severed from her body. Linda's body was so unrecognizable that the police could only identify her after reviewing her dental records. The crime scene had no evidence as to who had committed the crime, and the case eventually grew colder as time passed. A year after the discovery of Linda's massacred body, on May 15, 1982, the Ripper crew struck again, kidnapping their second victim, this time in broad daylight. At just 21 years old, Lorraine Borowski was about to open the realtor's office where she worked before she was snatched by the men and then forced into their van. Without any other leads, detective commander and hypnotist John Milner decided to place locals under hypnosis who were in the area the morning of Lorraine's disappearance to see if he could obtain any useful information as to what could have happened. One local recalled seeing a red-orange van at the mall parking lot where Lorraine had worked. It seemed to be something of significance at the time, but nothing fruitful ultimately came from the use of hypnosis, and the crew had once again gotten away with their crimes. In October of that same year, five months later, Lorraine's sexually mutilated body was found in a cemetery. This horrific discovery was after the killers had already abducted and murdered several other women, though. Just days after murdering Lorraine, the men had kidnapped 30-year-old Shui Mack in Hanover Park. Shui and her brother were driving home from their family's Streamwood restaurant when her brother reportedly told her that she should walk home instead. After she exited the car, she was never seen alive again. Her body would be found just a month before Lorraine's in South Barrington, again battered and horrifyingly mutilated. Investigators working these cases were quickly able to connect them after their bodies were discovered. Each of the victims were not only unrecognizable, but their left breast had all been amputated from their bodies. The investigation only got clearer as time progressed, and when the men were ultimately captured, Robin Gecht was determined to be the one who had orchestrated each of the attacks. The brutal crimes were all performed within his home, where he had built a makeshift satanic temple that was lit only by candles. Sources state that if Robin wasn't committing the horrific torture himself, he'd watch the other men torture the women on his altar as he chanted passages from the Satanic Bible. After the women suffered merciless pain from having been beaten and their breasts removed while they were alive, the men would all take turns ejaculating into the women's breast cavity. Then, what they described as being a part of their ritual, 
Robin would pass the amputated breast around, and they would each take turns consuming raw pieces from it. This was the case for most of their victims. However, one of their unfortunate victims had been forced to inflict some of the torture upon herself. On June 13, 1982, 23-year-old Angel York was abducted and forced into the Ripper's van. Once she was back at Robin's home and placed upon his altar, instead of the men being the ones who forcibly removed her breast, Angel was made to remove it herself. After passing out from the excruciating pain, the men believed Angel had died. They took her body off of the altar and hopped into their van. They then drove a ways away from Robin's house and tossed her out of their van, where she would soon be discovered. When Angel was found shortly after she had been dumped by the crew, she was luckily still alive. When authorities asked her about the men who had abducted and tortured her, the descriptions provided of her attackers unfortunately failed to produce any leads. After Angel had been found by authorities, the gang didn't strike again for two months. On August 28, 1982, at just 18 years old, Sandra Delaware's body was discovered underneath a bridge on the Chicago River. Just like the victims before her, Sandra's left breast had been severed, she'd been brutally raped, and her body was completely butchered. The four men reportedly continued to prowl the streets of Chicago and soon came upon their sixth victim. On September 8, 1982, 30-year-old marketing executive Rose Beck Davis was discovered dead in an alleyway. She had been beaten with an axe and fatally stabbed to death. The gang had now been seemingly getting sloppier with their actions towards the last few victims, as each one had been found by the police rather quickly. Then, on October 6, the Ripper's desperation and arrogance put an end to their horrific reign of terror. In a seemingly random act of violence, Robin Gecht fatally shot 28-year-old Rafael Torado and his friend, 18-year-old Alberto Rosario. Alberto luckily survived the shooting, but unfortunately, Raphael did not. It's assumed that the shooting had been carried out after Robin had became frustrated that he couldn't find another female victim, so in order to fulfill his bloodlust, he resorted to shooting the two men. Despite the murder of Raphael and attempted murder of Alberto, this act of violence wasn't enough for the Ripper crew. That same evening, the crew abducted 18-year-old Beverly Washington and performed the same horrific ritualistic acts on her as they had with all of their previous female victims. Beverly had also been horribly mutilated, with her breasts severely slashed and removed from her body. But, even after all of that, she miraculously survived. Beverly was found dumped on a railroad track, and was quickly hospitalized for her injuries. Because Beverly had been so brutalized, she was unable to speak when the authorities attempted to initially ask her about the attack. Without her voice to aid her in telling them what had happened, she then communicated with the police by writing answers on paper. Beverly was able to provide the authorities with clear descriptions of the men, the color of their van, as well as some feathers that hung from the rearview mirror of the van. The first piece of physical evidence the authorities could go off of and use to bring the crew to their much-needed end. After the police began searching the streets for a large red-orange-colored van with hanging feathers, they quickly spotted their suspect. Driving the van was Edward Spritzer, an employee of Robin Gecht, who was the actual owner of the van. Both Edward and Robin were promptly arrested for the brutal attack on Beverly Washington. 
This red van played a key role in launching the current investigation. Geck's name surfaced after police stopped the 1975 Dodge van with Spritzer at the wheel. Spritzer denied any wrongdoing, but pointed out that the van belonged to Geck. Robin ended up posting bond, but he was soon rearrested just a few days later on November 5, 1982. The police had also picked up Andrew Cocorellis and his brother Thomas, who were arrested shortly after Robin's incarceration. Edward and Andrew confessed to up to 17 murders, while Thomas ultimately confessed to only partaking in three. Neither of the men implicated Robin, though he never confessed to any of the crimes himself. Due to the lack of evidence surrounding the other attacks and murders that had been committed, Robin was only found guilty of the vicious attack on Beverly. In 1983, Robin was sentenced to serve 120 years in prison, but was given the eligibility for parole, which he would be eligible for in 2042. In 1984, Thomas Cocorellis was convicted for the murder of Lorraine Borowski and was originally sentenced to life in prison, but an appeals court granted him a new trial. After he had pled guilty to the murder, Thomas was then sentenced to serve a 70-year sentence, but he was ultimately released in 2019 on good behavior after serving only 25 years in prison. He is now a free man. Also breaking this morning, a member of the infamous Ripper crew released from prison after nearly 40 years. The crime so brutal, investigators compared them to Jack the Ripper and Charles Manson. Thomas Cocorellis left the Illinois River Correctional Center in downstate Catonid. You know, this is such a remarkable story, you guys. Uh, Cocorellis, likely the only member of the infamous Ripper crew who will ever see the outside world again. His release, extremely difficult to take, as you might imagine, for the families of 18 murdered Chicago. Chicago area women. First light and an array of iDoc vehicles make their way around Illinois River Prison. Any one of them could be handling transport for Thomas Cocorellis, transferred discreetly from here to an undisclosed location. At last word, he had no plans for housing. His family, long ago, turning their backs. He originally got life for his role in the murder of a 21-year-old Elmhurst woman in May of 1982, but a rape conviction overturned on appeal and now defunct sentencing rules set him free after serving just half his time. Initially, in 1985, Andrew Cocorellis was sentenced to life in prison for the murder of Rose Davis. However, in 1987, he was also convicted for the murder of Lorraine Borowski, and was then sentenced to death. On March 17, 1999, Illinois carried out their last execution by lethal injection on Andrew Cocorellis. As for the fourth Ripper, Edward Spritzer, he was also initially sentenced to death in 1986. However, this was changed to life in prison without parole after the state of Illinois abolished capital punishment. Many of the Chicago Ripper crew victims were unfortunately never found, but it's believed that they had murdered a total of 18 to 20 innocent people. Although many speculate this is solely a case of cult activity involving human sacrifices, each man was entirely coherent and were not brainwashed, as many tend to be when involved in cults. Robin Gecht is widely known as the ringleader of the crew, but all of the men seem to have participated equally in the horrific acts. It's incredibly disturbing how four sadistic men can unite to create one of the most twisted and sinister killing machines that still haunts the city of Chicago, and whose barbaric crimes have left a horrifying mark on the minds of many, even after decades have passed.
So that was the disturbing case of the infamous Chicago Ripper crew and the atrocities they left in their wake that still haunts many Chicagoland residents to this day. Definitely let me know your thoughts on this case, and if you have any questions regarding it or any other cases I've covered, feel free to contact me at roguedarknesspod at gmail.com. You can also always reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter at rogue underscore darkness, on my website roguedarkness.com, or drop me a comment over on my YouTube channel. Also be sure to subscribe over there to see my episodes in live video format. It'd be awesome if you could share the pod with anyone who you think would like it, and also be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or any other platform where you can leave a review to let other listeners know you enjoy the show. And if you want some personalized shoutouts and other exclusives, definitely check out my Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash roguedarkness. You can also check out my bonfire shop if you want to get your hands on some awesome merch. There's definitely some really cool designs there, so give it a look. For references on the cases I've covered and to go even deeper down the rabbit hole of darkness, you can find all of the links for everything discussed down in the description box of the episodes. And with that said, that concludes this week's episode of Rogue Darkness. The darkness is all around us, and I can confidently say that reality truly is more terrifying than fiction. Until next time. <laughs>